There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday, May 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. Tonight on The Readout. It's uh, outstanding the, the lack of uh, urgency and the uh, oath uh, disregard that he had to protect the capital, protect this, the, the, the national security of this country. Capitol Police Sergeant Aquilino Gonell speaking the cold, hard truth about Trump's January 6th culpability. And yet, just like a cult, many of the people who condemned Trump that day are still working for him. Also tonight, Democrats were accused of lying about a 10-year-old pregnant rape victim. Now that the story is confirmed, what it tells us about the terrifying future of reproductive rights in America. And JFK said, the torch has been passed. Now another generation of young Americans is saying loud and clear, pass the torch to us. We begin the readout tonight with January 6th committee's eighth public hearing expected to air on prime time one week from tonight. The final chapter for now of a damning and horrifying story about Donald Trump electrifying a violent mob to block the transfer of power on that faithful day. One must imagine Trump is watching, or rather, hate watching, every second of these hearings. I mean, they are about him, after all. Now we are learning about Trump's attempt to possibly influence witness testimony. This week, Congresswoman Liz Cheney revealed that Trump called a witness in the panel's investigation after one of the previous hearings. Today, Chairman Benny Thompson confirmed to NBC News that the witness the witness referenced by Cheney was a White House employee. Trump was trying to contact a witness and Trump trying to contact a witness is just one of the major revelations in Tuesday's hearing. Along with a text exchange between Trump's former campaign manager, Brad Parscale, and former campaign advisor, Katrina Pearson. In these texts, Parscale shared strong words about Trump's rhetoric preceding the insurrection. Mr. Parscale said, quote, this is about Trump pushing for uncertainty in our country, a sitting president asking for civil war. And then when he said, this week I feel guilty for helping him win, Katrina Pearson responded, you did what you felt right at the time and therefore it was right. Mr. Parscale added, yeah, but a woman is dead. And yeah, if I was Trump and I knew my rhetoric killed someone. When Ms. Pearson replied, it wasn't the rhetoric, Mr. Pascal said, Katrina, yes, it was. Okay, so these texts, these are a really big deal. We're talking about a hardcore Trump loyalist who played a significant role in Trump's rise, blaming Trump's rhetoric for January 6th death. But now, Josh Dossey of The Washington Post is reporting that Pascal called Trump on Tuesday after those text messages were presented. And Dorsey's sources say that Pascal is expected to continue working for Trump. It doesn't make sense, except in, in, in Trump world, it does make sense. Because Trump isn't the leader of the Republican Party, but rather the leader of a cult, like a political Jim Jones. And people like Brad Parscale 
are his cult followers. I mean, why else would he condemn a sitting president for asking for essentially civil war only to tweet exactly one month later a message addressed directly to Trump saying, quote, if they only impeached you twice, you need to run again because to change the system, you have to kick it in the arse. I would love to be the only president to be impeached three times because history remembers those that didn't conform. I'm in. Are you? Only thing left out was the sir. The Washington Post reported Pascal's digital firm accepted accepted $150,000 in payments from Trump's political operation after that tweet. Because along with the cult, it's, it's also a grift. Meanwhile, the case against Trump's big lie is expanding well outside of the committee. Today, a prominent group of conservatives, including lawyers and judges, issued a detailed report showing that there is absolutely no evidence of widespread fraud in the 2020 election. The question remains, will their conservative peers finally listen? Joining me now is David Hoppe, former chief of staff to Speaker Paul Ryan and one of the authors of the aforementioned report, Lost Not Stolen, the conservative case that Trump lost, and Biden won the 2020 presidential election. And Abdallah Fayyad, opinion writer for the Boston Globe. Thank you both for being here. Mr. Hoppy. thank you for being here. I I, got to ask you this sort of baseline question. It's a two-part question. Part one, what does it mean that in the year of our Lord, 2022, you have to write a detailed report explaining that a person who lost by like eight million votes actually lost? What, how bad does that mean uh, that it's gotten inside of the Republican Party? And, and why do you think that the people who are MAGA at this stage would listen to the Ryan wing of the party? The Paul Ryan wing of the party is what they basically erased. Well, one of the things I think you have to look at on this is that this report was looking at every bit of evidence we could find in six specific states and looking at the cases they were brought, how they were argued, what was determined by the court or determined in some cases by state legislatures or others. And what it says is that this election was not stolen. And it's an important point to make because if we're going to have faith in our democracy, People have to know that elections have real consequences and they are honestly determined. This one was. Mr. Trump, just as he won the 2016 election uh, against some great odds, uh, was not reelected in 2020. And once again, the pandemic and some other issues had to do with that. But this election, and it's important for the people of the United States to know and believe that their elections are honest and that the a winner is a winner and a loser is a, is a loser and nobody steals elections. And that's what we did the report for. It is to, to lay out these arguments. And we didn't think that anybody had done it before in the way that uh, particularly the judges who were involved here uh, and other lawyers who were involved here. I'm not a lawyer, but I was a participant in this uh, felt would make the case and the argument so that people could decide for themselves. And there are still people who have not looked at all of the evidence. It hasn't been put all in one place like we have put it in this report. So we believe that the people will get a chance to look and read this and find out how the arguments were made. But that in the end, President Biden was elected president by winning enough states and enough electoral votes to be elected president. It was not stolen. So, Abdullah Fayyad, I'm going to ask you this question. Then I will have another question for Mr. Hoppy. He knows that. You know that. I know that. Mitch McConnell knows that because he congratulated 
Joe Biden on December 15th, the day after the Electoral College certified that he is president and, and confirmed it. The challenge is, is that the people who are hardcore MAGA are not going to read this report. They literally get their information off TikTok, Fox News, Newsmax, and OANN. And, and the kind of Republican that Mr. Hoppe is, you know, as delightful of a person as he probably is, is not the kind of, is the kind of Republican that they see as a rhino and that Eric Greitens does ads against, right? So it's like, I, I wonder, you're covering these hearings as I am. You, of course, probably understand that most of the people who testified in these hearings are committed to voting for Donald Trump again, again, even though their families are being threatened. They're getting death threats. They're saying, yeah, but I'd vote for him again. Do you see any anything about what we've seen in these hearings that indicates to you that there can be any change in the Republican base based on a report like this? Well, well, I think and this, is from, this is for Mr. Fayyad. This, this is for Mr. Report this, this, this evening. Is, so there, it, it is being covered. In, but wait, in this, this is for Mr. Fayyad. Republicans okay. who are MAGA uh, and yeah. other Republicans will see it. And maybe they haven't heard this right. amount of evidence put together. But I, one of the other things you have to understand is that there are people who are loyal to President Trump because he's the first one who put a voice to their feelings of being shunned, called deplorables. And those are things that once somebody put a voice to it, people feel loyalty. They also liked the policies that he put together and passed and brought uh, on his first. For, okay, well, hold, give me one second. Give me hold. hold those pause. Are things, I don't know if you can hear me. Those are things that make people loyal. Those are things that make people loyal. I, I hear you. But I want I want to let Mr. Fayyad respond to you first and then I'll come back to you. Go ahead, sir. Okay. Well, thank you, Joy. Um, thanks for having me on. And um you know, that's that's a really great question. And, you know, it's really difficult to know what these Republicans are thinking in particular. I mean, you know, I just can't put myself in these people's heads and understand how they are fully incapable of feeling shame. You know, I mean, these are people who, like you mentioned, um, expressed regret and felt guilty about helping Trump win. But they won't try to actually redeem themselves in public. But this is a reality and a pattern that has existed since Trump um, first announced his candidacy in 2016. And it could not have been more crystallized than when a senator from his own party who voted to convict him for inciting an insurrection went ahead and said that she's open to supporting him should he run for president in 2024. I mean, this is really scary stuff. I mean, this is a guy who... They now know, tried to overthrow the U.S. government. Let's be clear about that. what that means. That means he literally tried to end American democracy, literally. And the, they're just sitting there thinking, you know, oh, I'm not sure whether or not I'm, I can, I'm going to support him in, in, in 2024. Are you really not sure? You know, but this all shows, like you said, just how unwilling the Republican Party has been to finally leave Donald Trump behind. And there are a lot of reasons for that. You know, one is the culture of fear and retaliation that he has created in the GOP, just like any strongman's party and any autocracy. But I think one of the biggest reasons is because Donald Trump actually delivered the agenda that the conservative movement has been working toward for generations. And, you know, at the end of the day, that agenda may have looked a little uglier than some conservatives may have wanted. And so now some people are jumping ship. But, you know, it's great when people stand up and, and, and stand up to him and call him out. But, you know, at this point, it's too little too late. And, and I have to ask you this, Mr. Mr. Hoppy, we're, we're, we're close to out of time. First of all, very quick answer, because we're, we're short on time. Would you vote for Donald Trump again if he ran? 
Um, he's not my candidate uh, in 2024. Okay. But there are the, the policies that he had. I will what vote po- for the Can you policy. tell me? To tell me what? Wait, wait hold on a second, sir. I need you to will, listen to me and have a conversation. By, by what policies? Very quickly, by the list them. List but, the list these policies. I hear people say this a lot. What policies specifically? Well, the tax cuts and the effect they had of having more blacks and more Hispanics. Don't don't, don't bring my folks into this. Don't bring my folks into the this. United States. These tax cuts must be His appointment of judges to the Supreme Court. He so said ending he Roe v. Wade. He said he would appoint textualists. He did. Uh-huh. Those three. They're Scalia-like. And They're, that's and what he they said. They want to end Roe v. Wade. Okay, so... Can, and, 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 the I'm, change in China. Everybody, uh-huh. every president said before his, his time over the last 50 years, I'll be tough okay. with China. And none of them did. Donald Trump was the first one to hang the, the to bell the cat, if you will, on and, China and, 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 and talk the, about what they were these are things that are important in the future okay. of the world. He started to build yes. our defenses. I got to let another guest in. One second. Yes, okay, one second. And, and I got you. I got you. I got you. I'm so glad you said that, sir. That Hold on. Like. I'm Okay, I'm so glad that you said that because you did work for Paul Ryan and Paul Ryan's yes, life dream was to pass a massive tax cut for the super rich. And he Trump did that. Trump signed a massive tax cut that benefited <laughs> no, rich people. It was to but wait, pass a massive but that tax is what that but that is what that was the goal. The Can I just States. get you to comment on I this, Mr. Fayad? Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because Mr. Fayad, I an honor to work for Jack Kemp. I hear you. never get I hear you. That higher taxes are the way to solve our problems. Okay. In the United let, States. let me let, let me let, let me let Mr. Fayad in. One second. Mr. Fayad, I'm just going to talk to you now because I don't think our other guest is listening to me. Would you agree that in the end because I always tell people this all the time. The one, the two things Donald Trump actually really did accomplish legislatively was that massive tax cut and putting those people on the Supreme Court. And that the reason that every single person who testified in these hearings would vote for him again is that he was the means to that end. So they don't care what else he did. I think, I think that's exactly right. It's, Abdallah, yes, please. Mr. Abdallah. I, Abdallah I, I, I think that's I think that's exactly right. Um, And, you know, Trump delivered that agenda, like I mentioned earlier. The conservative movement has been working toward this for really generations, you know, and and, and now Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Correct. That was a cause for celebration for this party. And this, they have finally reached this point, and Donald Trump was the one to deliver that. And, you know, he has made it possible for the Republican Party, and this is essential, I mean, he made it possible for the Republican Party to continue governing through a minority coalition. That's and right. now they are attacking voting rights in order to maintain that strength. They're attacking democracy. And he was the vehicle through which they did that. And so that's why it's really difficult for them to leave them, to jump off yes. this path at this stage. It's just their path to holding power. And they don't want to abide by the rules of democracy and the rules of elections and catering yeah. to the electorate that they serve. Trump Trump freed Republicans from having to pretend they cared about the Voting Rights Act. He gave them the massive tax cut for the super rich that they always wanted. And the judges on the court that would get rid of Roe v. Wade, those were their three items. They don't care if he was the devil himself and they'll all vote for him again. I love this was so revelatory. Thank you both for being here. David Hoppe, Abdallah Fayyad. Thank you very much. Read continues after this. We're over over time. <laughs> Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need 
has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Two months after a horrific racist mass shooting stole the lives of 10 black Americans in Buffalo, New York, an emotional ceremony today marked the reopening of the East Side Tops Grocery Store, honoring the victims with a moment of silence and prayer in what officials called a step forward. Although it's the only grocery store serving the area, some residents felt it should have remained closed. In honor of the lives of the 10 people murdered there on May 14th and preserved as a memorial. Today's reopening ceremony came with another step forward, step forward toward justice. The alleged gunman was indicted by a federal grand jury on more than two dozen hate crime and firearms charges for the attack. It also comes the day after the U.S. House voted to advance legislation, creating a national Amber Alert type system for active shooter situations, like the one earlier this month in Highland Park, Illinois, where the suspected gunman was at large for eight hours. But 168 Republicans and one Democrat voted against the measure, with Republicans claiming it would leave Americans living in fear. It's because they want you to be afraid of the Second Amendment. It's because they want you to be afraid of responsible gun ownership. This is another example of Washington creating another department, another position, spending more money that we don't have in order to have a policy objective of continuing to advance fear among the American people. I think it would probably be a more uh, advantageous use of our time to develop a congressional stupidity alert system. This bill is about Democrat fear-mongering that guns are an ever-present threat and we cannot be safe until big government rounds up every last one of them. Yeah, yeah, because there's really nothing to be afraid about already when it comes to guns in America, except perhaps this. As we saw yesterday in newly obtained footage from Uvalde, a gunman with a legally purchased weapon killing fourth graders and teachers. Today, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi excoriated Republicans for voting against the alert bill. How can these Republicans vote no to people knowing that there's an an assault in their school or their community centers or wherever? These people think their political survival is more important than the survival of our children. Joining me now is Brandon Wolf, a survivor of the 2016 Pulse nightclub shooting and press secretary for Equality Florida. And Brandon, my friend, you know... I can't think of anything that should be more bipartisan and easy to vote for than an Amber Alert type system to let people know, hey, there's an active shooter in your area. This would be like saying the the current Amber Alert system, which helps us find sexual predators, is just trying to make people afraid of people who want to rape children. Yeah, we should be afraid of people who want to rape children. That's why we have an Amber Alert system. They kidnap a kid. You want that alert system because, yes, we're afraid of people who want to abduct and hurt children. I my mind is blown that 168 some odd Republicans decided that's a bad idea. I, I can only imagine what you think. Well, the absurdity of it all would be comical if it wasn't deadly in nature. I, I think you have to start by considering what the Republican message to this country has been on gun violence 
for decades. They've told us that gun violence is inevitable. They've said, sorry that you sent your kid to school only to see them carried out in a body bag. Sorry that you had to provide a DNA sample because your nephew's body was mangled beyond recognition. Sorry you sent grandma to the grocery store only for her to be gunned down with an assault rifle on the produce aisle. That's just the way the cookie crumbles here in America. There's simply nothing we can do about it. That has for decades been the Republican message on gun violence. And so if that's true, if you believe that there's nothing we can do about gun violence, that it's just an inevitable way of American life, then why on earth would you oppose giving people the very best information possible to make it out alive? And I'll tell you why. It's because Republican leaders in this country are not capable of, nor are they interested in doing the jobs that they've asked for. Democrats, I think, need to call it like it is. Republican politicians are obstructionist, wannabe reality television stars who view their positions in government simply as a chance to see themselves on TV as often as possible. And America, we have to be honest with ourselves. We need to stop enabling these totally unserious political mercenaries who are content to surround themselves with armed security while refusing to give us so much as a heads up that there's an active shooter down the block. Honestly, Joy, in a functioning democracy, this would and should cost every single one of them their jobs. Well, I mean... It- you know, I mean, there's and Democrats are, I mean, people who want not even Democrats, just anybody who cares about gun safety. There's this recession of, you know, items from the school victims that are headed to Ted Cruz's. Like there's theatrical things that people are trying to do to sort of make the message that Ted Cruz is ridiculous. But I mean, if you think about the pragmatics of it, let's talk about what happened at Robb Elementary School. So they had an internal system to notify people. There's a Raptor alert system that was triggered within one minute of the shooter entering the school. But there was no panic button in the classrooms that alerted the entire campus at the same time. While the system did do its job to the extent that it alerted teachers immediately, a more centralized alert system that notified everyone at the same time would have been better. This is an evaluation of what happened in the Uvalde situation. I mean, when my kids were young, this the school system had an alert system that would text you as a parent because you want to know if there is an active shooter in the school. But that's not universal. I don't understand how one can argue that we shouldn't even have the right to be warned that there's an active shooter. Are they essentially saying the active shooter has the right to start killing? I just don't get it. You know, I don't get it either. But again, I think it comes back to the quiet part out loud. They have no interest in keeping people safe from gun violence. They don't care about the staggering number of deaths. They don't care that that gun-related injuries have now overtaken every other cause of death for American children and teens. They don't care because the only thing they truly care about is furthering their political careers. They're climbing one rung up the ladder after the next. They will do anything. They're wholly for sale. They've been bought and paid for by their extremist base and one man who lives on a beach in Mar-a-Lago. This is not a party that takes their job seriously. This is not a party that is interested in saving the lives of American children. And quite frankly, it's, it's not just disturbing, it's heartbreaking. Because Americans deserve so much better from their leaders. Americans deserve leaders who go to Washington, D.C., who go to state legislatures with a public servant's heart. They deserve leaders who go to those places to do good work to keep our communities safe. And unfortunately, we have people like Matt Gates who are much more focused on being TV ready, hair and makeup, uh, uh, you know, on standby instead of actually doing the jobs that, once again, they've asked their constituents for.
Well, allegedly, the Amber Alert system might have been needed for him uh, taking uh, teen, young, underage girls around, <laughs> allegedly, which he denies. Um, this isn't even confiscatory. This is just give us a heads up that there's an active shooter. I don't even get it. Uh, Brandon Wolf, you're great. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you being here. Still ahead. What the disturbing case of a 10-year-old rape victim forced to travel to another state to terminate her pregnancy says about abortion access and anti-abortion activists in America. We'll be right back. Alpha One Niner, commence Wi-Fi device checklist. Laptops on. TVs streaming. Game console consoling. Smart thermostat set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera. Oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go. You are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet. Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film The Aviators. Now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters, both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. The Supreme Court's abortion decision didn't happen in a vacuum. Women and girls across the country are already paying the price. Take, for example, the 10-year-old girl from Ohio who was raped at the age of nine and impregnated. Yesterday, the Columbus Dispatch reported that a 27-year-old man confessed to raping the girl at least twice. Because Ohio bans most abortions, the girl traveled to Indiana to terminate the pregnancy. The Indianapolis Star was first to report on this after the girl's story was shared by an Indianapolis physician who helped facilitate the procedure. President Biden shared the horrific details a number of times at public events. Sadly, this is also a story about bad faith arguments from the party that wants to ban abortion outright, but doesn't want to be accountable for the consequences of those decisions. Instead of confronting the reality of their choices, Republicans and Republican pundits chose to call President Biden a liar. And why did the Biden administration, speaking of lying, just repeat a story about a 10-year-old child who got pregnant and they got an abortion or was not allowed to get an abortion when it turns out the story was not true? And we know that potentially it's not true. The idea that you would have politicians in America trying to exploit a story like this and make up a story like this in order to advance their own sick agenda tells you they're not serious about uh, the issue. Ohio's Republican attorney general implied that the story was made up because, well, he hadn't heard about it. Have you had anybody come to you in your state to say we're looking into this? A police report was filed. Not a whisper. He also claimed that the child, who was six weeks and three days pregnant, didn't have to cross state lines because her age was a medical condition that would have allowed an abortion. Okay. Meanwhile, today, the president of an anti-choice advocacy group told members of Congress that the girl's abortion wasn't even an abortion. Do you think a 10-year-old should choose to carry a baby? I believe it would probably impact her, her life. And so, therefore, it would fall under any exception and would not be an abortion. Wait. It would not be an abortion if a 10-year-old 
with her parents made the decision not to have a baby that was the result of a rape? If a 10-year-old became pregnant as a result of rape and it was uh, threatening her life, then that's not an abortion. The National Right to Life Committee does not agree. Their general counsel said the now 10-year-old girl should have been made to carry the fetus to term and she would be required required to do so under a model law that they have written for state legislatures. The Ohio General Assembly is ready to ban abortions even earlier than the current six-week ban, with zero exceptions for rape or incest. And in Indiana, the state that facilitated this child's abortion, the state legislature is looking into further restricting access to abortion care. Joining me now is Dr. Katie McHugh, an Indiana OBGYN and board member with Physicians for Reproductive Health. Thank you for being here. We, it seems lately we're spending a lot of time debunking basic facts that Republicans who want to ban abortion get wrong. Let's start with this one. If a 10-year-old was attempting to end a pregnancy, which by definition is the result of rape because the child is 10, is that or is that not? Terminating that pregnancy, that's an abortion, right? That is an abortion. And we are honored as abortion providers to be able to provide that safe and compassionate health care to patients just like this one in this story. This case out of Ohio is tragic and devastating, but it is not unique in any way. We see patients like this, of this age, or with this condition, or with this trauma, and it is our responsibility as physicians, and it is our honor as abortion providers to be able to provide that medically sound, evidence-based, compassionate care for these people who so desperately need it. And and what do you make of the Republicans lying now? It's just, you know, there's no cute way of saying it and saying, oh, no, no, no. We don't think um, getting rid of an ectopic ectopic pregnancy is abortion. We're not going to make that illegal. Well, that's an abortion, too. Uh, And saying, oh, no, if the girl is 10, we're going to we're going to claim that's not an abortion. So now you're going to make up things that you say are not abortion? Because as I was growing up, knowing the pro-life movement, they said that taking an IUD, putting an IUD in is an abortion. Taking the pill is an abortion. They think they're all abortifacients. So they actually think all of that is abortion. What do you make of the fact that they lie about what they claim they want to ban and that they're, they lied about specifically this poor girl, this case, and said it was made up? Those are all great examples of how the legislature has no business making medical decisions or medical policy. I went to school for years and years and spent hours and hours of my life training to do this work. And I don't serve in the state legislature. I don't try to do their work for them. And I would rather that they not try to do my job. Pills and IUDs are not abortifacients. Medical procedures that help people to live their best lives and be their healthiest versions of themselves that are safe and medically supported have no business being debated on a legislative floor. That is a decision between a patient and a physician and no one else. And by the way, I will note that multiple Republican governors, legislators are on the record. We have the tapes and we'll play them every day if we need to, of them saying 10-year-olds who are pregnant should be forced to have the baby. Um, I want to go into another issue here. The Indiana attorney general now says he's investigating the doctor, investigating the doctor who treated this 10-year-old victim. 
um, said that his office is also looking into whether she failed to report the procedure, the doctor, in Indiana, because it is a crime to not report intentionally um, a case like this. And has the governor and has sent a letter to the governor demanding the release of documents from the Indiana Department of Health and Department of Child Services to determine whether she filed the proper complaint. This is the future, right? Doctors will be the targets and then eventually women will be the targets. And in this case, a kid. That's exactly right. Complicated medical reporting is no uh, stranger to abortion. We have been dealing with changing and shifting regulations around what we have to report, what kinds of timeframes we have to report these things in uh, for years. And they serve no purpose except to try to trap abortion providers and abortion clinics, uh, to criminalize us and the work that we do, and to trap and criminalize patients. Again, this has nothing to do with protecting life or protecting health. This only has to do with control and removal of bodily autonomy and taking away the choice of what to do with your own body. I make it, I, I say it a lot, uh, I, I'm, I'm a lot less uh, delicate about it. I say it is about making women into state property. That, And I won't put that on you, I put that on me. Dr. Katie McHugh, thank you for all that you do. We're back in a moment. So we in the media have gotten a lot of mileage out of this New York Times Siena College poll showing President Biden at 33 percent approval, with just a quarter of Democrats thinking he should run for re-election. And it's given the Times and other media outlets the perfect opening to repeat the favored conventional wisdom that for sure, for sure, for sure, Democrats are going to get wiped out in the November midterms. Republicans remain supreme, despite their most recent president being proved to be an insurrectionist criminal by the January 6th committee. And still losing to Joe Biden in a reelect matchup in the self-same poll. So how do the conventional wisdom folks know what will happen in November? Well, his poll, which surveyed 849 registered voters, says so. And so do other polls of like a thousand or sometimes even 1200 Americans. And history, I mean, history tells us that the president's party always gets shellacked in the midterms. Except when it doesn't happen, it didn't happen to George W. Bush because of a huge external event called 9-11 and the subsequent meritless U.S. invasion of Iraq. You know, voters tend to keep wartime presidents in. No, forget that. Forget that. Forget that. Democrats are for sure, for sure, for sure going to get wiped out. I mean, that's the conventional beltway wisdom. Biden's approval rating is trash. Inflation, gas prices, duh, those are the external events that we need to pay attention to. Except that the MAGA Supreme Court majority just zeroed out women's rights over our own bodies and Clarence Thomas is threatening to go after birth control and gay marriage and gay relationships, too. But ignore that. External events like totally only hurt Democrats, even when Republicans are running candidates like this. The LGBT transgender grooming our children's minds is a national security threat. We need to hold people for treason, start having some public hearings, and start executing people who are found guilty for their treasonous acts. You cannot have a successful society outside of the Christian moral order. And things like abortion and things like gay marriage are outside of the Christian moral order. Since we don't control the air, our good air decided to float over to China, bad air. <laughs> So when China gets out good air, their bad air got to move. No, 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 doesn't matter. Democrats are doomed. 
Except that the same New York Times Siena poll shows Democrats with an advantage over Republicans when it comes to who Americans want in control of Congress after the November vote. Oh, uh, and where have we heard the old, the president should simply announce that he is not running for re-election already line? As you can see, these headlines were about Barack Obama back in 2011 after Democrats did in fact get shellacked in the midterms, just as the media told the country over and over and over and over and over that they would as punishment for passing Obamacare. While the Tea Party raged with an extremism the media generally tended to ignore before President Obama was soundly reelected. And then they were like, well, he's still unpopular. Look, maybe it is time for us to admit that we really have no idea what's going to happen in November and that external events, not the conventional political wisdom or history will decide. And the events overtaking this country are deeply personal and polarizing. Gun massacres, abortion, deadly and sometimes incompetent policing, or the heroic policing that tried to stop a physical coup. Crazy-ass prices, the climate catastrophe, fascism, our broken politics, and the never, ever, ever ending pandemic. These are not conventional times. When we come back, the New York Times poll did reveal something that I think we can all agree is 100% true about the Democratic Party our sole pro-democracy party. And it is a tough conversation that I think we need to have about age and leadership. And we're going to have it, but nicely, <laughs> on the other side of this break. Now, I will state again that polls in and of themselves are only somewhat meaningful in predicting election results, even more so this far out from the midterms that are in November. But what polls can do is give you a sense of trends, especially when you read them like in the aggregate. And they can also give you a sense of the mood of parts of the country, elector, of country and electorate in a specific moment in time. That is the best way to read polls, honestly. Not as predictions, but really as status checks. So when the New York Times and Siena College poll finds that at this moment in time, just 1% of 18 to 29-year-olds strongly approve of President Biden's job performance so far, 18% somewhat approve, while 94% say they want another candidate to run in 2024, that is a status check that tells the White House that the mood right now, it's frankly pretty grim. And as the Times puts it, what's bugging younger voters most about the leaders of this country and of their party is that, frankly, Many of them are three times their age. And so many believe that they are out of touch with the issues that young voters say matter most to them. Essentially, it's a statement about younger voters who prefer, in general, the policies that Democrats offer, but who often feel stifled in what essentially is a gerontocracy. Here is what one young voter told NBC's Von Hilliard this past weekend. He's pretty, like, clueless and out of touch. And, and you guys are registered Democrats. Yeah. Would you want somebody else to run in 2024? Yeah, I mean, part of, I thought, my understanding that part of the the wager in 2020 was that he was only going to run once, and then he was going to give up power to, I guess, Kamala or whoever, and that doesn't seem to be the case anymore, and it, it's not a winning strategy, and it looks bad, and it is bad. <laughs> and someone else needs to run. I, I'll take anyone else, really. <laughs> 
Joining me now, former Democratic senator from California, Barbara Boxer, and Christina Sinsun, Sinsun Ramirez, president of Next Gen America. Thank you both for being here. And I'm going to start with you, Senator Boxer, because, I mean, I have this conversation a lot, even with, with my kids who are in their 20s. And they and, and they say that the there is a sense that the Democratic Party is hanging on to a gerontocracy, that it is much, much older people who they generally agree with most of their views, but not all, are hanging on to this sort of institutional old party that doesn't work in the modern politics. So what these 70-something-odds, some of whom are bomb, like who are terrific, like Nancy Pelosi, you really know what they're doing, but some of whom are like behind a step, and sometimes Biden is, they're fighting like a culture of people who are Gen X and young, Gen X and younger. Look at the ages of the most radical Republicans that we see out there. DeSantis is 43. Holly's 42. You know, poor old Madison Cawthorn was just 26. Lauren Boebert's 35. Matt Gates is 40. Tom Cotton, 45. Elise Stefanik, 38. Rubio's 51. Ted Cruz is 51. So the Republicans push forward younger, radical people. And the people fighting them are people like Biden, who still think the institutions can work like they did in the 70s and 80s. Your thoughts? Sure. Well, someone who's fast becoming the Betty White of politics, me, um, <laughs> That's a great reference. Everybody wants to be Betty White. She's amazing. (laughs) But in any event, this is how I view it. This is how I view it. When you put those pictures up of those right wing crazies, it says to me right away, it doesn't matter how old you are. You could be dangerous at 80 and you could be dangerous at 40. The point, but I do think there's an important point to this poll. And that is we Democrats, we do have a very good and diverse coalition. It truly is diverse every way you look at it. But in terms of leadership in Congress, it is true, they are getting older. And so I think it's easy to fix that. I think we need to have younger people standing behind the leaders and getting to the podium and making the presentation. Look at the January 6th committee. It's so impressive. People in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, each one has something to offer. So my my feeling is we've got to uh, push people forward who are younger and who are good and smart and, and are caring. Christina, uh, Sinsun Ramirez, I want to let you you counter. What what do you make of it? Because, yes, there are. I mean, look, people, you know, they love Liz Warren. They, there are young people who love Bernie Sanders, who's about as old as Joe Biden. You know, but, but it, it, is it the sense that people are not being allowed to not just stand behind the leaders, but lead? Or is it the issues that younger people want, police reform, you know, more aggressive pushes on voting rights, and that that's not happening because the other leaders are sort of old old school? I think it's that young people are voting for Democratic candidates, but they're voting on progressive issues and a progressive agenda. You know, this wasn't a newsflash, this poll, that Biden wasn't the youth vote candidate. He wasn't the youth vote candidate in 2020. That was Bernie Sanders, and he's pretty old. Um, What I saw in the New York Times and the Harvard youth voter poll showed us is that 32 percent of young eligible voters said they plan on showing up this election. That tracks on turnout of the youth voter turnout in 2018 that helped Democrats win back the House and also elect a slew of progressive, diverse candidates that are much younger and backed by young progressives. So you elected Congresswoman AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Katie Porter. This is the largest, most diverse and progressive generational voting bloc in the country right now. And they are just starting to flex their power and they're demanding the Democratic Party be more responsive to their issues and they're actually winning. So the message that I see is that 
elected officials in the headline should really be don't underestimate or discount the power of a pissed off generation this election. But, you know, and I hear all that in, in but Senator Boxer, here's what happens. The AOCs, the, the more progressive younger candidates get elected, and then they say, we want Build Back Better. We want all of this great stuff. We want a really aggressive voting rights bill. And then Joe Manchin says no. And then Joe Biden says, OK, well, we'll split Build Back Better off and just give Joe Manchin his bridge bill. And that's the way politics works, because the, the progressive things that would excite young voters can't get through the gerontological Senate. Let, let me just say this. The way the Senate works, as you know, it's a supermajority to get anything done. It yeah. has nothing to do with age. We could all be, they could all be in their 30s or their 40s. They still couldn't do it. And I think I think the, the panelists we have on here is so right. It's about the issues. Now, we're going to have the first national election since January 6th. Think about that with these hearings, just driving it home to the young voters, to the old voters, to those in the middle. It's the first one since that horrible Roe v. Wade decision. And we've got crazy Republicans telling 10-year-olds they have to have a forced birth if they're raped. So we've seen an uptick in gun violence. We've seen yep. an uptick in suppression. So I think yep. it's the issues and yes, let's get some more younger people out there with the older ones. Well, as the, as the Gen, as a member of Gen X, we just get skipped all the time. We're just going to go. We'll, we'll go to the next generation. We just get skipped. But I'll give you the last word, uh, Ms. Sinsoon uh, Ramirez. Last word. Well, I want to say that young voters are actually winning on the issues that what we need to realize is that if it weren't for young voters, Donald Trump would be president. Uh, Mitch McConnell would be a majority leader. We wouldn't have the first African-American woman in the Supreme Court that we have won investments in climate and historic gun safety legislation. So let's turn out young people this election because we can send a powerful message to every single one of those elected officials that's trying to take our country backwards, that if they want to cling to the past, they can have it. But the future is going to belong to America's young people. I absolutely agree. And young voters, listen, the way Republicans did this, they spent 50 years relentlessly voting, losing, voting, losing, voting until they one. You have to vote persistently. Vote like your grandma. That's how you get what you want. Vote like your grandma because she never stops voting. She's in the church at. She shows up. She always votes. That's why she gets what she wants. Ultimately, former Senator Barbara Boxer, Christina Sinsun Ramirez. Thank you both very much. That is tonight's readout. Hey everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow.